Amen. Amen. The grave is still empty, and he is still risen. I love that line uh, because it's such a powerful reminder for those of us who trust in Jesus that no matter what happens going forward, that grave is still empty, and he is still risen. Amen? And that's why we're gathered today. It's to remember that truth. Um, I remember as I was prepping for this sermon, I couldn't help but think about last Easter, Easter 2020, an Easter that none of us will probably ever forget, even though we'd probably like to. Um, but I remember I preached Good Friday last year. It was my first time to preach on Easter weekend, so it was definitely a memorable first. And at that time, we weren't meeting in person, and so I was preaching to all of you by preaching at that camera. Uh, but praise be to God, I had Pastor Roger here, so I had, I had one person amen in me, okay? <laughs> and then on Sunday, on Sunday, we switched roles. He got up here and he preached to the camera, and then I amen him, okay? And so I'm thankful that this year I got a few more people amen in me, all right? So, yes. <laughs> um, but man, I'll, I'll never forget that moment. Um, I know the same is true for you. There are things about this past year that we will never, ever forget. And I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm not a prophet. Um, I've asked God, but he hasn't told me. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm praying that things will continue to go back to normal. They could get harder for all I know. I don't know. But what I do know is our King Jesus, he's still risen. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the greatest news in the entire cosmos, and it's this. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive, and that changes everything. And I realize that we've got um, all different types of people listening right now. Uh, For some of you, you're listening, or maybe you're here right now, uh, because a family member or a friend invited you. That's the only reason you're here. You're not a Christian Um, you're here because, hey, it's Easter. I might as well come check it out. And I just want to say we are so thankful that you decided to do so. And my prayer for you this morning is that as you listen to this message, my prayer is that you would figure out for yourself, is all of this hogwash or is it true? Because if it's true, that means Jesus is God. And you were created in order to know him. And you're going to be held accountable to that reality one day. So please do consider what is being talked about today deeply. And then I realize we've got a bunch of folks that are probably here um, who are listening. And the reality is you're a Christian. But the only times you come to church are on Easter and Christmas. Because it's tradition. Uh, For whatever reason, you're not invested in the church. You're not actively following Jesus. And I want to encourage you, I'm not here to shame you today. (laughs) I'm not here to guilt you. Um, I realize there's all sorts of reasons why you uh, may not be active in your faith. For some of you, you tried this whole church thing out and you've been burned by people who profess in the name of Jesus. And so you're like, I'm out. Uh, For others of you, maybe you've just gone through some hard stuff in life and you're just figuring it out and church hasn't worked its way up on the priority list yet. Or maybe you've been gone from church for so long that you think it's pointless to even try again. Or perhaps you've made such a mess of your life 
that you don't feel like you'd be welcomed back into the community of faith. Regardless of where you're coming from, let me encourage you that the beauty of Easter is it's a reminder that because of the resurrection, you can start over. You can start over because the resurrection is about new life. And that new life is available for anyone who trusts in the name of Jesus. No matter where you've been, I don't care how you've fallen, no no matter how long you've been away, you can start over today. And that's my prayer for you as you reflect on the resurrection this Easter. And then there's everybody else. And you're like me. You are trying to follow Jesus. You believe in him. You're walking after him imperfectly yet faithfully, striving forward. You're taking another step. You're doing your best to trust Jesus even in times where you don't feel it. You're falling, but you're getting back up as you press forward towards your upward call in Christ Jesus. And my prayer for you is that you would once again lift your gaze to the heavens and you would marvel upon the beauty and the wonder of the resurrection. And so that's my prayer for all of you today. And so with that said, would you bow with me as we ask God to bless our time as we get into his word. Well, Father, we pray right now that you would open our eyes anew in order that we may gaze on the beauty of the resurrection. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you would, uh, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, We're going to be in the first 10 verses. Uh, But as you're turning there, uh, you'll notice as you read through Matthew's account of the resurrection that it's written very simply. I mean, it's it's a very... Uh, it's written very straightforwardly. And the reason for that is because Matthew is explaining a real historical event. Okay, this is not some fantasy. This is not a hallucination. This is not a vision. Rather, this is a real historical event. Okay, most non-Christian secular scholars will attest to the fact that around 2,000 years ago, an entirely new religious movement and community was formed almost overnight, where hundreds of people started to claim that Jesus had risen from the dead, and many of them were killed for their proclamation. And this movement grew like wildfire, where now up to one-third of the world's population now professes faith in this risen Christ which is based on the historical account that we're going to read about in Matthew. So let's read. Verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. But he's not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and he greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet. And they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Amen. What we see here in verse 1, that after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. If you don't know much about the Sabbath, the Sabbath ran from Friday at sundown to Saturday at sundown. Jesus was killed on a cross and put into the grave on Friday before the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus was in the grave part of the day Friday, all day Saturday, and then into Sunday. And then early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to the grave. Where according to Mark's gospel, they came in order to bring more spices to put in the grave of Jesus. Because the Jewish people didn't embalm the bodies of their dead. So these women, they came merely out of sympathy. I mean, they're, they're grieving, they're hurting. And they brought spices in, in order to anoint Jesus' body. This was an act of compassion by these faithful women. And as you read the New Testament, you'll notice a bunch of Marys. It's kind of hard to keep up. Keep up. I mean, there's like six different Marys in the New Testament. And the reason for that is because Mary is a very common name during this time. And we know from the, the other Gospels that there are actually other women besides these two who went to the grave with them. But Matthew, for whatever reason, highlights Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. We know according to Luke chapter 8, that before Mary Magdalene had met Jesus, she was a tormented young woman. In fact, we see that she had seven demons inside of her. And when Jesus showed up, he cast those demons out. And after that, after she experienced the amazing power of Jesus, she devoted her life to him and became one of his most devout followers. And the other Mary would have been her friend, the mother of, of James and Joseph. And these were absolutely remarkable women, just incredibly loyal followers of Jesus. I mean, these were men, women who, who stood with Jesus at the crucifixion, even when the rest of the disciples, besides John, had fled in fear. But not these women. They remained. They were at Jesus' side as he suffered horribly on that cross. They watched as the guards pierced his side to make sure that he was dead. And when Jesus was taken off the cross and put in Joseph's tomb, these women were there, grieving, hurting, and anointing his body with spices. And here they are again, bringing more spices for Jesus' body. I mean, this is deep, heart-wrenching compassion. These women loved Jesus. And may I just add, praise God for godly women. Amen. <laughs> praise God. I mean, we, godly women are so needed in order for us to have thriving homes and thriving churches and thriving societies. And God loves to minister through godly women. And we're going to see that here in this text. Yet as these women come to the grave, we see in verse 2 that suddenly a severe earthquake occurs. A natural earthquake would have been terrifying enough, but this earthquake was apparently supernatural because of an angel who descended from heaven in order to roll away the stone. 
And apparently this angel had all sorts of swagger because right after he rolls away the stone, he just sits on top of it like a boss. And he's just like, what's up? How y'all doing? (laughs) And then verse three says, this angel was beaming with brightness. His appearance was like lightning. And when the guards who were watching over the tomb, when they witnessed this, they about peed their pants. The text says they shook with fear at the sight of all this and they fell to the ground like dead men. And I probably would have done the same thing if I was there. You know, a lot of people think angels are these cute, fluffy little kids that just float around and bless people. Um, I'm like, man, have, you, have y'all read the Bible? Okay. Like, um, every time someone comes in contact with one of these heavenly beings, their immediate reaction is like, I'm going to die. Okay. Like, it's over. I mean, biblical angels are downright terrifying. <laughs> but as you read through the scriptures, one thing you'll notice is that whenever a human being encounters a heavenly being, the typical response is to hit the floor. That's the typical response that you're going to see in the scriptures. When the glory of God shows up, people fall to the ground. It's the natural knee-jerk reaction for anybody who encounters God or one of his heavenly servants. All throughout the scriptures, people are deathly afraid when the glory of God is revealed. Which makes sense when you begin to understand the weight of God's glory and who he is. Because as you read the scriptures, you'll see that that God needs nobody. There's nobody greater. There's nobody wiser. There's nobody stronger. He's dependent upon no one. He does as he pleases. He was never created. He's always been and he always will be. Anything that has life has life because God willed it. Anything that breathes, breathes according to his mercy and compassion. Our God is completely other. He's just, he's holy, he's different, he's set apart, he's glorious. So when a sinful human encounters the radiance of God's glory, it's terrifying. Because when the glory of God is revealed, we realize at once we don't belong We don't belong. Isaiah 64 states that even our righteous acts, even our good deeds are like filthy rags when compared to an almighty and holy God. So when a sinful human comes in contact with the glory of God, the natural response is rightly, I shouldn't be here. I'm not worthy. Because if God deals with me according to my deeds, we are dead people. And that's what happens here. As the guards witness this glorious angel from heaven, as they witness the stone being rolled away, they fall to the ground like dead men. But notice, it wasn't just the guards who were scared. The women were too, which is why the angel quickly encourages them. He says, don't be afraid, which is the most common phrase in the entire Bible. Fear not. If the Bible had a tagline, that's what it would be. Fear not. Yet the peculiar thing about it is we have every reason to fear a holy God who deals justly with sin. Because Romans 3.23 says that we're all sinners. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Meaning if God gives us what we deserve, we're going to die. Not just physically, but eternally. We will be separated from God for he is the author of life because of our sin. 
Therefore, we have every reason to be deathly afraid of God, yet God's message to the world is fear not. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be afraid of God. You don't have to be afraid of what's to come. That's the message of Easter. Fear not. And so the question is, well, why should we not fear a great and holy God who deals justly with sin if we are indeed sinners? Well, listen to the angel. He tells the women, fear not, for I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified, but don't be afraid because he's not here for he has risen just as he said he would. If you go back and read the scriptures, you'll see that Jesus has been telling his followers all along that he was going to die and then he was going to rise again. You can go back to Matthew 17 verse 22. And there Jesus tells his followers, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. He tells them the same thing in Matthew 20 and again in Matthew 26. Jesus very clearly predicted that this would happen. That's why he came to earth. It was all part of the plan. So the question is, why is everyone so surprised when this happens? Well, my question to you is, Well, how would you have responded? (laughs) Uh, You've been following Jesus. He's clearly anointed. He's an amazing man. But then he says he's going to die and then come back to life. Not dead for five minutes, like three days dead, dead. How would you have responded? And a little side note, that's why Christianity is different from any other religion in the world. For Christianity is the only religion where our leader died physically and then he came back to life. Everybody else's leaders, they still dead but not Jesus. But how would you have responded? You watch Jesus, right? He's, he's crucified horribly on a cross. There's blood all over his body. In fact, the only way he can breathe is if he pulls up on them nails, pulls himself up, takes a breath, and then goes back down. And then when he's got enough strength, he bolsters it. He puts weight on those nails again. He pulls up and he breathes. He takes, takes another breath. You suffocate to death on the cross. It's a gruesome way to die. And you witness this. He dies. You see it. You go to his funeral. You watch them put him in the grave. How would you have responded? Who cares what he told you? People say all sorts of stuff when they're alive. But he's dead now. And you saw it happen. And that's why so many people don't believe in Jesus. Because to be frank... The resurrection seems impossible. It seems unbelievable. And if you're sitting here thinking that, I agree with you. It seems unbelievable. But here's the thing. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15 says that Christians should be pitied the most because that means our hope is in vain. Because if Christ did not rise from the dead, then he was not who he said he was. Because what Jesus said, he said that he had come in order to take away sins. That's why he went to the cross, to take on the burdens that you and I owe. Because in God's economy, our God is just. And he will hold sinners accountable to their sin. In God's economy, there's two things that can happen. Either he's going to let the sinner pay for their sin. Which means they're just going to trust themselves or trust in something else other than God. And they will pay for their sins. Meaning for all eternity, they will be separated from God. Or 
you can accept the gracious gift that God gives us through Jesus, where Jesus went to the cross and he says, listen, I know this is incredible. You don't deserve this, but I'm going to take all your sins. I'm going to take all of your punishment. And then while I'm up on that cross, I'm going to take your sins. And if you believe in me, I'm going to give you my perfect righteousness so that you're set free. That's what he claimed. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, he didn't do nothing about your sins. If he didn't rise from the dead, you're still defined by your brokenness. I'm still defined by my addictions, by our past, by our flaws, by our diseases, by our depression. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are all of the things that we hate about ourselves. So the natural question is, well, if the resurrection is so unbelievable, then why do we believe it? So with that in mind, I want to say a couple of things. Number one, if the disciples made up the story about the resurrection, they wouldn't have chosen women to be the primary witnesses. Because even though God highly values women, in that culture, women were not highly esteemed. They were viewed as second-class citizens. And so in that day and age, if you were trying to fabricate a story, you wouldn't have chosen women as your key eyewitnesses. Nobody would have believed it. Number two, the resurrection account and the entire New Testament for that matter includes embarrassing details about the disciples. The women are the courageous ones in the resurrection account and the disciples are the fools who doubted. So if the disciples made up this story wanting fame and prestige, they chose an odd way to go about it because they look like buffoons. Number three, after the resurrection, there's no doubting the radical transformation of Jesus' followers. These are the same dudes who are hiding like cowards while Jesus is being crucified on that cross. But after the resurrection, they will boldly lay down their lives for him. Something radical has happened that changed the course of these disciples' life where they said, we will do anything. We witnessed something that was truly unbelievable. Number four, many people will die for what they know to be true. There are plenty of cults and other religions that have people who are ready to die for their faith. But only a maniac would die for something that he knew was a lie. Yet 11 of the 12 disciples died gruesome deaths because of an unwillingness to recant their testimony of the risen Christ. Either all of these disciples were absolute maniacs or they witnessed something and they're like, you know what? I've got to keep proclaiming it because I saw it. And then number five, if you study conspiracies, there are three motivating factors at play when a conspiracy is made up, namely power, greed, and lust. Yet if you look at the disciples, they gained none of the three. They had no power. They were persecuted, imprisoned, beaten. They're often poor. They encouraged humility, and they were willing to lose everything for the sake of the truth. And there's about 10 other things I could say, but I'm going to stop there. And I say that to encourage us. There is great reason to believe that Jesus is who he said he was, which is why we sing. It's why we worship with great fervor and persevere with heartfelt faith. It's why I preach like my hair is on fire because if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. Because a lot of y'all know what that means. If Jesus rose from the dead, that means we're not identified by those things that we do hate about ourselves. 
We're not identified by our sins anymore, but we're identified by the perfect righteousness of Christ who promises to one day come back and fix this broken heart and fix this broken society. And if Jesus rose from the dead, so will we. So will we. But look back at the text. Notice after the resurrection announcement, the angel tells the women, come and see. He says, if you don't believe me, come see for yourselves. And I love that. I love that. If you're listening today and you don't know if you believe in the gospel, there's an invitation on the table. God says, come and see. Come and see. That's just an invitation. And I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're just not sure yet, just don't know if you believe, you haven't thought about this long enough, that's okay. But let me encourage you. Why don't you just open that Bible? Okay? It's not going to hurt you. Just open it. My advice would be start in the Gospel of John and just start reading it. Read the whole thing. See what happens. Just say, God, if you're real, show me. And make that your prayer. And if you need help, if you have questions, we'd love to talk to you more about that. But there's an invitation on the table. But let me plead with you. Don't go through life apathetically because the ramifications are too important. This is eternity that we're talking about. And if you're listening for the first time, maybe at home, maybe here, and you're like, you know what? I've never thought about this deeply before, and I do believe. I think I believe. Romans 10, 9 says that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise. Not you might be. Not believe me and then go do these good things. No, Jesus already did them good things for you. He did it all on the cross and he rose from the dead. Just trust him and he'll set you free. But after the angel tells them to come and see, then he urges them to quickly go and share it with the disciples. There's a sense of urgency. He says, go quickly. Let others know. Spread the news. He is risen. That's the pattern you see all throughout the New Testament. God always offers an invitation. He says, come and see for yourselves whether you believe this stuff, whether you think this is true. But once you believe, you got a mission. Go and tell others and share it with a sense of urgency. And do so immediately. It's not, hey, believe in Jesus, then get plugged into the church for five years, then go to seminary, then share about Jesus with others. Uh -uh, That's not what we say here. You don't need to know all the answers. All you need to know is that Jesus has the answers. So just point people to him and be like, yeah, Jesus has risen. Trust him. And that's what these women do. They hurry back with fear and great joy to tell the other disciples. Can you imagine like the emotional state of these women? What an emotional morning. Like they went from, from heartbreaking sympathy and deep grief to terrifying fear to now exhilarating joy all in one morning. It's not hard for me to imagine because I live with four girls. And it's kind of a typical morning in the Upmore household. <laughs> but look at verse 9. We see while the women are frantically running back to tell the disciples, it says that Jesus just suddenly pops up. He says, surprise! Which is typically how Jesus rolls post-resurrection. <laughs> he just shows up and scares the tar out of people. Um, I often wonder if that's what heaven's going to be like. Just be walking around and Jesus be like, hey! You know? um, but man, it's, it's neat because this is such a gift to these women. Uh, they were the last to leave Calvary. They were the first to come to the tomb. And now they're the first to see the risen Christ. It's a reminder. Our God, 
He rewards faithfulness. If you're sitting here wondering today, if anybody sees the daily sacrifices that you're making, well, look at this text. God does. He sees you. He hasn't forgotten about you, and he's faithful. He'll reward you. You just keep going. And that's what he does with these women. He he rewards their faithfulness, and they worship him face to face. And then he repeats the angel's message. He says, in case you need some more encouragement, don't be afraid. And go and share the news with my brethren to leave for Galilee. I'll meet y'all there. It's interesting. Take note of this. This is the first time that Jesus calls his followers brethren or brothers. Once, they were disciples. Then, they were friends. But after the resurrection, they're family. They're family. And also take note that Jesus calls them family even after their most disloyal, most doubtful, and most cowardly moment. This is grace upon grace upon grace type of love here. And that's what a relationship with God looks like when you believe in the resurrected Christ. I don't care where you've been lately. I don't care where you've run. I don't care what you've looked at, what you've said, what you've done. For those of you that believe in Jesus, Jesus has a word for you this morning. Your family. You belong. And you're his. And after the resurrection, Jesus says, I'll meet you in Galilee. If you know anything about the Galileans, you'll recall that they were viewed as uneducated sinners who come from a questionable ancestry. People from Judea would look down on people from Galilee, yet Galilee is where Jesus started his ministry. And after the resurrection, that's where Jesus is going to end it. Because our God's like, hey, I'm not here for all the people that have their lives figured out that don't need me. I'm here for the broken, the forgotten, the despised. And if you're here today and you're feeling broken like me, this is good news because that means that our God is for people like us. So we have hope. We have hope. I've been reading through uh, the Chronicles of Narnia series with my daughters. Um, We're we're like on book four. And I remember uh, a few months ago, I I was reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And if you've ever read that book, you know that the lion Aslan, he makes a deal with the witch where Aslan agrees to, to take the punishment that Edmund deserved. And after I read that part to my daughter, who's five years old, after he read about how Aslan voluntarily allowed himself to be murdered in Edmund's place, my daughter stopped me and she got kind of angry. She said, Dad, why are we reading this? I don't like this book. I hate this book. (laughs) Why are those people so mean? And she had like, it became a serious moment because she started to have some tears in her eyes. I've never seen her that mad. (laughs) Which is the appropriate response when you start to contemplate deeply an innocent person who's being murdered on behalf of a guilty one. But I encouraged her. I said, Avery, let's just keep reading. Let's see what happens. And if you've read the book, you know there's two other characters, Lucy and Susan, and they watch Aslan. They watch him be murdered. And after everyone leaves, they go and they lay down with his dead body and they weep with him. They grieve. And they fall asleep. And then you'll notice that they are awoken by this great noise. And all of a sudden, they look around and they see 
Aslan, this great lion as he's resurrected in great glory and splendor. And I remember when I read that part with my daughter, Avery's just, she's going, yes, <laughs> he's alive. <laughs> you know? And we had like a mini dance party. Um, and then it's funny. It's funny because now that Aslan is alive, it's affected how she reads the rest of the other books. Now, as we read these books and as we read a, a troubling scene or if something wrong happens, she doesn't get too worked up. She'll look at me and she'll, she'll say, Daddy, I bet Aslan's coming soon. I bet Aslan's coming soon. You see, now that Aslan is alive, it's affected her and it's created this reassuring peace for her as we read other troubling things because she knows that great lion, he's alive. And one day, he's coming again. Hey, church, that great lion, he's alive. And one day, he's coming again. And what Easter Sunday tells us to do, it says you view every event in this life through the lens of the resurrection because it's the truth of the resurrection that will allow you to have faith in the midst of uncertainty. It's the truth of the resurrection that will grant you peace when you're going through adversity. It's the truth of the resurrection that will allow you to put your hands in the air and sing for worship no matter what season of life you're in. Because our Savior has risen, church, and he's coming again. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Well, Father, we once again, we reflect on the greatest event that history has ever known. And we confess right now, God, we all too often get distracted on other things. God, would you help your people to once again focus on what truly matters? He is risen. He's risen. God, give us faith to keep going. These are uncertain times, God. But the resurrection has never been more powerful for some of us. And we rest in that hope. And God, if there's anyone here, if they don't know you, even if they've been coming to church their whole life, but they've just been playing a game, checking off a list of rules, God, would you show them right now that you love them even in their sin and that you did something about their sin. That's why you went to the cross. It's an act of love. And you rose from the dead to show them that you have conquered death, you've conquered sin. And if we will trust in you one day, we're going to do the same because we're going to rise with you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Easter, church. He is risen.